0: or toll-free at 888-382-7502.
1: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, one day beyond early signing day. Lance,
2: how's it going? I'm doing good, Noah. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. And today's show is going to be recapping early signing day and going into the offensive coordinator search, but a lot happened.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so Auburn obviously hired their O.C. Austin Davis, uh, obviously National Signing Day as well yesterday. Just a lot of different things happened that we're going to dive into today. Um, Darius Hamm also entered the transfer portal. We're going to talk about that today. Just a lot of things going on in the Auburn sphere. Man, let me tell you something. It feels like every single December, regardless of whatever happened in that regular season, it feels like there's always some drama that immediately follows a very dramatic Auburn football season, and we are in the thick of it right now. Thoughts on signing day? Uh, I honestly I think that it was a very solid day uh, for for the Tigers it was not it was not uh, I guess the best in terms of recruiting guys in the trenches that's something we talked about on yesterday's show is just Auburn could have potentially done a, a better job of maybe looking at some offensive and defensive linemen and picking those guys up but still for Auburn to have to have climbed from what was 13th in the SEC just a few short weeks ago to now, what, 7th in the SEC? I believe Auburn, Auburn was up to 5th in the SEC, and because of other other classes moving up, they got bumped down to 7th in the SEC, but still 15th nationally. For Auburn to make that jump is incredibly impressive, and it's a question that I've had about this coaching staff for a few months now about whether or not they can actually recruit because I had not seen anybody commits right and that was the thing that we continue to say is like okay they may be out here they may be recruiting and they may be saying they're doing all these great things but until we see some of these guys put pen to paper none of it really matters right and now that they've gotten to bring some of these guys in now that they've gotten some of these guys actually signed it gives me confidence for the future that they can maybe build on what they're doing right now because let's be honest if they And this may be putting a damper on things because by no means was this a bad day yesterday. It was a great accomplishment for Brian Harson and this coaching staff. But if Auburn is going to compete with some of the bigger schools down the line, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, they're going to have to recruit at just a little bit of a higher level, and they do need to get some of those guys in the trenches 100%. Uh, so I think that this is, right now, This class can be a solid foundation for what Auburn wants to do on the recruiting trail moving forward, Uh, but still, I don't want to take away from what happened yesterday. It was still a phenomenal signing day.
1: Going down the top 25 on 24-7 sports, team rankings according to 24-7 Sports Composite coming in with the top overall class, number one, Texas A&M narrowly edging out Alabama by four points. According to 24/7 Sports, Alabama still signed the highest class average, which sits at 95.17. But A&M comes in at number two with 94.24. A&M signed 26 commits to Alabama's 24. The Crimson Tide come in second. and Georgia comes in third. That's your top three. Top three: A&M, Alabama, Georgia. There is not another SEC team inside the top 10 or current sec team because texas and oklahoma both landed inside the top 10 but there is not another sec team currently until you get to number 11 as kentucky made a splash but something to note about early signing day it's not over yet right but i don't expect these rankings to shift too dramatically maybe several teams in the country mike make some headway up the rankings like I still think there's room for Auburn to climb a little bit with the addition of Jeffrey Emba if he ends up going Auburn's way on Sunday or other offensive linemen I think Auburn's going to try and get in on before February Auburn's going to have some room to move but a lot of these classes did finish things up yesterday but that top three Texas A&M Alabama and Georgia there's a
2: massive gap between them and everybody else absolutely the SEC reigns supreme there's no arguing with that and you can definitely see it on the recruiting trail something I believe I mentioned this to you off air yesterday Noah but the Big Ten Conference uh, they they obviously did some work yesterday but they have a total between their 14 schools they have a total of four five-star players that have been signed the SEC has two schools that have four five-star players signed and then Alabama has three which is absolutely insane to think about, that you're probably the next best best conference in America has four total five stars, and then the SEC has two schools that have that. The
1: other side to look at here inside the top three with Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M is how wide the gap is between Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M and the other teams in their conference in recruiting. The fact that Kentucky finished fourth in the SEC and they're outside the top 10 eight spots away from the next sec team
2: that's not good for the power balance of the sec yeah i would also agree with that like if 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 you look at it at a national stage it's like oh well there's obviously a dis uh, there's there's a a disconnect between every other power five conference in the sec it's very apparent that they're clear far and away a bit better than everybody else but also at the same time like you just said the three teams in the sec that that uh that 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 the conference has texas a&m alabama and georgia they are um they are way ahead of some of these other schools and you would like to think that teams like lsu uh, are in an Auburn are going to be able to kind of bounce back from firing their coaches and they're going to be bounce back uh, going to be able to uh, bounce back and get some uh, more solid recruiting classes in the in the upcoming years but yeah it's um it's fascinating to see I'm surprised that Texas A&M was able to uh to have such an impressive year honestly uh on the recruiting trail I know that they've been doing things very well under Jimbo Fisher but the fact that they were able to jump Alabama is really surprising to me but yeah it's those three right now it's those three that are that the conference is trying to beat in terms of talent
1: what else is concerning about that gap is that it's Kentucky and Missouri at 11 and 12 <laughs> nationally and that's not me poking fun at those two schools great for those two schools that they were able to get in the top 12 these are postcard these are major recruiting classes for those two institutions in those two programs but here's the problem those two programs aren't going to do this every year I don't think they will I think that they'll be in Kentucky's case I think Kentucky has a shot to be top 20 every year I just don't foresee Kentucky and Missouri doing top 12 work in recruiting on a year-in-year-out and basis I'm not sure if Missouri finishes in the top 12 this year after February's done Because I think Auburn has a chance to get in there. I think Florida State has a chance to get in there. Florida State's only signed 16. Auburn's only signed 18. Tennessee and Stanford are probably done with their 20 and 22 commits. They might have one or two more guys that they're going to try and add. Missouri has 16, and they might take some more themselves. I just have a hard time believing that the guys that they're going to get to close out this recruiting cycle are going to exceed that of some of these other SEC teams that are going to attempt to work their way up. LSU has a couple of months to try and recoup from the damage that Auburn did to them over the last three days and flipping some of their recruits. They're going to try and recover there. Florida's going to try and climb in the rankings. The other SEC teams are not done, but what is so concerning about this is I don't think that there's a single SEC team this year that is going to put together a class that is going to even attempt to cover that gap between number 3 and number 11 right now in the national rankings. Once again, I go back to the power balance. Kentucky and Missouri are not going to do this every year. So although this is one great class, that's not enough to change a program. You've got to do it on a repeated basis. And the teams that you are looking at that have been at least – historically in the same realm as Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M, right. right? Those teams didn't do anything to close the gap. If anything, it got wider.
2: Yeah, exact. that's exactly what I was about to say. Is If anything, for teams like Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, it got wider. It feels like, obviously because two of those programs fired their coach this season, but still, I will say this, though, about Kentucky— Uh, Having kind of dipped into the fan base a little bit, kind of having seen what's going on with the football program, I have confidence that they can sustain a a level of success that they've not had in a very long time. Now, I'm not saying they're going to get top 15 recruiting classes every single year from here on out, but after seeing just kind of what they've built... I think that Kentucky is trying to build themselves into a program that's probably going to consistently be in the top half once the move uh, from Texas and Oklahoma happens to the SEC. I certainly think that uh, I certainly think the Wildcats can make a push. Yesterday, I had a a 32 minute podcast breaking down every single different player in Kentucky's uh, 2022 recruiting class. Got to watch a lot of different film, got to watch a lot about what coaches were saying about these kids. That is a talented class. Going and watching, they have speed, they have aggression, they have power. It's a legit class. They've got some guys coming in that are going that are SEC caliber recruits. When you watch their film, it's like that guy's built to play in the SEC. Six foot eight, three hundred and forty-five pound offensive tackles, five star kids. Yeah, those are built to play in the SEC. So Well,
1: here are some national rankings in the Kentucky class, which this is a legit class. They just I'm curious whether or not they'll do it on a repeated basis. But right. they've got the number twenty-five player nationally, an offensive lineman that's a five star that they got to come there out of the Midwest in Indiana. After that, you've got number one forty-five, one sixty-four, one ninety-nine, two thirty-seven, two ninety-three, three thirty-nine, three forty-nine, three seventy-two. Auburn doesn't even have that many guys ranked inside the top 400.
2: Right. Also, by the way, Destin Wade, the three 372nd guy, he may be my favorite signing of this class. He's going to play quarterback. He's probably going to be the guy that takes over after Will Levis is done. Again, I'm really excited about this class, not because I just cover Kentucky uh, on, on a podcast, but still I, I, think that, uh, I think that Kentucky's got some things working. But to your point, you've got to be able to next season bring in a class that is either – the exact same in terms of talent level or even better if you want to even have a chance at competing with these three schools so
1: then let me follow this up with say kentucky does that say kentucky hits 11th nationally four years in a row while four years from now when we get to the 24 7 sports blue chip rankings that they put out kentucky may be in there Mm -hmm. but auburn under malzahn recruited top 12 top 13 on a regular basis and they still lost four or five games every year I go back to nobody is placing inside that top 7 range with those teams. A&M is the one team this year that due to this number 1 overall recruiting class and then previous recruiting classes as well that is now getting dangerously close to Alabama and Georgia from a recruiting standpoint and sure last year they went 9 and 1. This year they went 8 and 4. They're going to have to get the results out of these players. So player development is still a big part of this. But a and the team that is now emerging as the challenger to Alabama and Georgia. But there is a massive gap there that even if Kentucky does
2: replicate 11 in the nation every single year in recruiting, eight spots a big deal. Right. And then also you have to have the coaching to back it up. And that's something that I think there is a there is a disparity between these three schools, A and M, Alabama, and Georgia, and the rest of the conference. I really do think that uh, I really do think that they also have some really solid uh, coaching staffs as well, not just the head coach, but I think at various position groups. So, uh, yeah, the SEC right now. Uh, if Texas A&M continues their climb I'm interested to see what the conference looks like once the uh, the expansion happens and I know I continue to say and once Nick Saban retires exactly the reason I say expansion is because I think things I think things start to shift a little bit whether or not we know what things will look like in terms of power balance in the future with those two uh, programs in I don't know we're just going to have to wait and see how different teams play against each other and different coaching staffs and different things like that how things hold over but also to your point how much longer is Nick Saban going to be here what does it look like after that does texas a&m take over the conference along with georgia are those two the the powerhouses does alabama find a coach that is able to maintain the level of of the caliber of talent that they've that they've uh, consistently brought in is can they get somebody that can continue to recruit well uh and then uh and then keep up with texas a&m and georgia we'll just have to wait and see
1: let me ask you this question a&m goes eight and four this year Hasn't signed this level of recruiting class yet under Jimbo. Now they have. But without this class on campus, A&M beats Alabama on an 8-4 and four season. Right. Yet Georgia, for the last five seasons, has been doing this and still can't beat Nick Saban. What's going on?
2: I think, hmm, uh, honestly, I think that A&M... They, I think they just matched up well against Alabama this season whenever it comes to like the issues on the offensive line and different things like that. It was in College Station. Uh, it took a mir- miracle game from Zach Calzada, who has statistically not been a great quarterback this season. It took that. Um, but I will say there there ha- there is something that is certainly needs to be said about the coaching job that happened in that game for A&M to overcome things and a- A&M to actually win that game as opposed to Georgia shooting themselves in the foot, it feels like, every other time they play the Crimson Tide.
1: If A and M could win when they're eight and four, what will they do with this group?
2: They'll probably win at the level that they are now, or just a little bit more. Uh, and that may end up be be uh, that may end up being a consistent win over Alabama, maybe every other year. It may end up being a win over Georgia in the SEC championship game. It may be consistent college football playoff berths. And honestly, you think about where they're at, you think about the resources, you think about the coaches, you think about the recruiting. I mean, A and M is building themselves i don't necessarily think into a powerhouse just yet but they're certainly on the way with classes like this and to your point they just beat alabama what can they do with more talent
1: we're gonna head to a quick break here on the thursday edition of on the line when we come back we're gonna talk about two current big 12 schools that are on their way to the sec and texas and oklahoma that put together pretty good recruiting classes but one significantly better than the other and That school being Texas, they look like they are trying to bring in the players. They're going to help them compete in the SEC. Just can't be losing to Kansas
2: on a regular basis. We'll be back with more of On the Line. Back on on the line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, give your thoughts on Auburn's 2022 recruiting class up until this point. If you want to talk about anything going on recruiting or anything going on in the sports world, you can call in at 334-321-1390 or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Okay, all right. We we were talking about in the previous segment. Uh, the SEC and the talent disparity between Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M, and the rest of the conference talking about how things could shape out whenever the expansion happens here in just a couple years with Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. Let's take a look at the classes that Oklahoma and Texas had. Like you mentioned before we go to break, Noah, one of them, uh, in in our opinion, is clearly better than the other. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Sooners or the Longhorns or just kind of take this on together?
1: Well, there's clearly a disparity here between Texas's class and Oklahoma's Texas finishes at fifth nationally, Oklahoma finishes at 10th and Texas is able to bring in one five star. They're able to bring in 17 to four stars, eight, three stars, a class of 27 commits. So the volume there helps them out just a little bit in terms of the rankings. They really recruited pretty much on the same plane as Penn state, and Notre Dame behind them, even North Carolina, but it's a volume thing there. For Texas, the the amount of recruits that they brought in, so this first class for Steve Sarkeesian is being paired up to the four other classes that came before this year, which did feature two top three classes, and all four of them were top ten. So Texas has a lot of talent already on roster. It's befuddling how they lose to Cl- uh, to Kansas on a regular basis in the Big Twelve and to TCU and some of these other bottom feeders that they're not even going bowling this year with that amount of talent. But what I'm trying to paint the picture of is. Texas is coming into the league with a strong recruiting footprint already. They're already getting top five classes. What does coming into the SEC do to them already at number five in recruiting? And on top of that, there's already a base of talent on the roster for them to succeed with. I have no idea how they lose... To teams like Kansas and TCU on a regular basis, it doesn't
2: make any sense. Let walk on fullbacks catch uh, game winning passes and different things like that. Yeah, I don't understand how it happens either. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not. I don't think that Steve Sarkeesian is a bad coach, right? I don't think the guys before him are bad coaches. It's just something that we've highlighted on the show before. There's just something off at Texas to where they just can't they just can't win consistently now. It's just a weird situation, even with the talent that they have. Uh, so like you said, I think a question that needs to be asked is what does the, what does their talent look like moving to the SEC uh, with them consistently losing to teams like Iowa State, TCU, Kansas? How does that translate to the SEC even though they're bringing in the number five class in the nation and, and classes consistently at that level? It's just it's weird to see uh, the the lack of uh, output. Uh, given texas's talent it's really weird to see that regardless of, of, of it feels like regardless of what coach has been there right over the past few seasons
1: and on the flip side oklahoma is lacking volume in this class you see oklahoma's class which is ranked 10th nationally second in the big 12 behind texas oklahoma actually has a better average grade of recruit than texas they're at 91.49 versus Texas' is 90.37. But Oklahoma also only signed 15 commits, no five stars, and 12 four stars. Only three three stars, of course, so they've still got a nice volume of four stars in this group. But no, like, jump-off-the-page, just dog in this class. Right. I think the guy that you look to is running back Gavin
2: Salchik. Great name.
1: Yes, for a running back 100% out of Colorado. But outside of that, there's no five stars, like I said. The quarterback out of this class is the number 10 quarterback in this year's class, Nick Evers out of Flower Mound, Texas. I'm sure the guy's going to be good, but I'm just curious what this basis for Oklahoma looks like going into the SEC, because this class right here will be playing in the SEC in four years, and where it shakes up compared to the other teams— not only Texas that are coming with them, but also the other teams in the SEC. If you include Texas and Oklahoma in this, Oklahoma finishes fifth. And once again, I go back to there's a seven-spot difference between Georgia and Oklahoma, and there's a five-spot difference between Texas and Oklahoma. And to me, that's a big difference.
2: Right. I, I would agree. And, and the fact that they've not gotten that five-star kid is, is uh, it's surprising to me. Where's that talented receiver, like that five-star receiver that Oklahoma normally gets? I mean, they got Jaden Gibson, a four-star guy that's 6'5", 185. He could pan out to be something really special. But still, they've not signed that five-star kid that could really get them over the hump and really get them up to a place where Texas is at in the national recruiting rankings. They, um, to be honest with you, Noah, Uh, both these teams coming in from the Big 12, transitioning to the SEC. I don't know if they're in... I want to ask you this question. Do you think they're going to be able to sustain the level of success that they've had on the recruiting trail, or do you think the SEC is going to start to take away from them a little bit because the, the, the pitch is, well, you can't win there in this conference, but you can win here?
1: Well, I'm about to ask you what kind of success are you referring to with Oklahoma because the last time they finished inside the top 10 was 2019, so three classes ago. And they Not saying that you're wrong, I was actually about to go in this direction with Oklahoma, is that for the last three years they have recruited outside the top ten. The right. gap has widened between Oklahoma and the top brands in college football. For Oklahoma to have the blue blood status that they have, I think it's been built on the falsehood of the Big
2: 12. They don't recruit nobody, Paul, (laughs) is what we'll be saying.
1: I mean, the last time they finished inside the top 10 was 2019. They had the sixth-ranked class. And then you go back to four years ago in 2018, they finished ninth, which was second in the Big 12. And that was a class that had 23 enrollees. That, That tells me that these guys aren't recruiting at the same pace as the best teams in the SEC. Oklahoma, under Lincoln Riley, finished on a regular basis with two losses in the Big 12. They were good for a loss to Kansas State and Iowa State, once again, on a regular basis. K-State was going for three straight wins over Oklahoma. Iowa State was looking for three out of four. Of course, Oklahoma beat those teams this year, but both of those teams weren't as good as we're also used to seeing playing in the Big 12. Oklahoma was far and above this year with the guys that they had coming back should have ran away with the Big 12 and they underperformed. Now they've underperformed on the recruiting trail for the last 3 or 4 seasons and they're bringing that into the SEC. This gap has been widening
2: for years. Just wait when they come into the league. This is a three-loss team when they come into the SEC. That's what I exactly my my point being. So I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up. And also, I think the fact that they lose they will lose in in the SEC will uh the, again, the recruiting pitch will be you why would you want to go play there? If I'm like an Alabama or Georgia or a Texas m or even like an Auburn or somebody, like why would you want to go play there? We beat that team. Come play here. You've still got a legitimate shot at the NFL.
1: I'm curious to see how coming to the SEC helps bump them up in recruiting. Let's head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open all show long. We want to hear from you. Ty the Tiger, the first to call in today. Ty, how's it going? Pretty good, guys. Hey, so
3: I I guess I missed it yesterday. Didn't they come tenth? In recruiting, yesterday?
1: You talking about Auburn or
3: uh, Oklahoma?
1: Oklahoma right now is tenth, yes.
3: And 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 yet they're—I mean—they beat a bunch of SEC teams, right?
1: Well, they've—they're outside. I don't, of... I don't
3: understand what you're saying as far as they—they've dropped off the last couple of years. So I—I just I and that, that was—it was kind of the point of my call. um now, what I, and if you don't mind, I, I think Texas A&M was was up there, but I don't think they were top five last year, correct? They were like top ten?
1: Uh, A&M? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, top ten, somewhere around seven or eight. But the right. point that I'm making and about Texas, Oklahoma – go ahead.
3: Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. You go ahead.
1: The point that I was trying to make about Oklahoma is that they have finished outside the top ten for each of the last three seasons, whereas Alabama, Georgia, LSU – several teams inside the sec every year finish inside the top 10 and then this year you're right i mean they they've compared to the other teams including texas that will be in the sec in a couple years they would have finished fifth but auburn's been hovering around five through seven there's a massive gap between five and then the top three teams that finished in this year's class i mean there's a big drop off there in my mind between top three in the country and then everybody else and so i i'm expecting oklahoma to come into the league and lose on a regular basis to teams like Alabama and Georgia and even some of the other teams that maybe didn't recruit great this year but I'm sure will bounce back like LSU and Florida under their new head coaches because we're used to seeing Oklahoma lose to mediocre teams of the Big 12 on a regular basis that recruit significantly worse than they do and now all of a sudden they're going against teams that recruit just as good if not a lot better that's my point on Oklahoma
3: well, I would say I would say I, I would have to disagree and I would I would throw out a couple points here of um, one I think it's a heck of a job by venables coming in and and holding a top 10 class you look at every other new head coach they're not they're, I mean most of them aren't sniffing the top 15 except for LSU which is I mean Louisiana's probably the I would say the to me the third maybe fourth state California Texas Florida and then you got Louisiana most talent that uh, I think gets recruited every year. Um, that so uh, again, and LSU barely held on. I was a like, 1920 something like that. But anyway, um, I wanted to point out something uh, that you know, A and M, Texas, and Oklahoma. Again, you know, you made the kind of point I was going to say. I was going to go the opposite way with those three teams: A and M, Texas, and Oklahoma. They're boosters all the way back from the, from the SMU days of that, that documentary and all that. They're finally getting to shine like they were back then. And you saw it yesterday. You saw Texas and A&M clean house, not because they got great recruiters, not because they've got a great university, but because they've got some of the deepest booster pockets in the country. And they do it and on a regular is-
1: basis. You're not wrong.
3: I mean, and again, it's like Jimbo said. I mean, Jimbo flat out said it, word for word. There's been nil deals forever. We just didn't ever talk about it. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, he said it. And, and he, and, and, how, how long has this man been a head coach? Let's see. I mean, he long he, time. I mean, he's talking about twenty years. So he, so he's talking about in the last twenty years, it's been going on.
1: Hey, Todd, we got to head to a break, for, my man.
3: All right, be
1: gone. Appreciate the call, bud. That was Ty the Tiger with us. Always hate cutting people off. Yeah, same. I have no control over this sting playing. It's a hard sting. I got to take a break. It's a network break. We'll be back on the other side of it. We'll come back. We'll tackle Ty the Tiger's call, and we'll break down these recruiting rankings still here on all The Line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Head into the phone lines now. Terry, what's up? Guys, how y'all doing? Doing real well. What's up with you?
4: Fantastic. Uh, just trying to finish get to the Christmas holidays, guys. As, That's as right. As much as I dislike it.
1: Oh, come on. This is the best well, time I'm not of a, year. I'm not a... That's
4: you know, just... All days are great, but I'm just glad to get them over. Besides, i I got four days left, guys. I'm retiring next week.
1: Well, congratulations.
4: For 25 years and seven months.
1: Congratulations, Terry. Appreciate it.
4: Appreciate it. Um, knowing even Lance, I want to know what y'all thought about Auburn's recruiting class. I thought it was a good class, a solid class. However, I feel like some of the needs weren't met. And maybe they'll be met in the portal, I don't know. But the offensive line is the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. And I wonder where you guys stand on this also. I, was, I am very much surprised that we didn't see D. Davis during the year at some point.
1: I'll tackle the recruiting question first. Um, you're right; they did not get offensive line. Um, I don't know if I would go so far as to say that defensive line was a need, but I would have liked to have seen another defensive lineman in this class. But Jeffrey Mbaugh, I think Auburn's got a good shot for him on Sunday, so I, I think that'll be. I, I think that 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 could end up be what happens on Sunday. So the defensive line, I think, will take care of itself. Offensive line, they'll probably have to go to the portal, but I know there are a couple of names out there that they are waiting for until February that those signatures will happen then in the actual signing day, the, the normal signing day period. So they're not done there, but you're right. That is the one area where I think needs were not met. But overall, this coaching staff skyrocketed. I mean, I mean, they, they by far, they exceeded everyone's expectation for how they thought signing day was going to go. And for Auburn to get inside the top 20, this coaching staff showed people that they can capitalize on momentum not just from games like the Iron Ball, but they're able to go. And I mean, in a way, they kind of created something out of nothing at the end of this year, at the end of this recruiting cycle. Uh, for them to close like this over the last three weeks, I think this coaching staff proved
2: that they can recruit. Yeah, I completely agree with Noah there. I think that the offensive line was was uh, is still going to be a point of emphasis heading into February. They're also definitely going to have to tackle that position in the transfer portal. Uh, overall, though, the fact that, like Noah just said, they were able to get it inside the top 20, incredibly impressive considering where we were, st- we were standing just a few weeks ago at 13th in the SEC. Uh, it's not the most talented class in the world. Again, it's not Alabama, Georgia, or Texas A&M's class, but the fact that Auburn was able to kind of, like Noah said, just build on some momentum and actually get get some of these guys that we didn't expect them to get i think is impressive
4: what you guys stand on the d davis question i asked you um, I, i'm just shocked he didn't play i am really shocked
2: you know and there's no information like
1: out there game. yeah there's no information out there about it i think part of it is he's not a scheme fit but you never know i mean d davis is one of the most positive human beings on this team if you see the stuff that he puts out on social media, because he's constantly talking about how excited he is to be here and how you know excited he is to be able to contribute one day and things like that. So there's an extreme amount of faith that he has in this program and that one day an opportunity will come along. So on the one hand, there's that, which might lend a hand to believe that maybe just – it was agreed that this was not going to be a year that he was going to play, that he was going to develop some. and But it, you can play four games and not lose a redshirt, right? So I don't know why you wouldn't play him at the end if this coaching staff just didn't want to go down that road and, don't, and, and they don't see him as a scheme fit, which I question whether or not he was going to – when this coaching staff was hired early this year, back in like January, February, whenever Holden Gurner committed – I question whether or not D. Davis would ever see the field as a starting quarterback at Auburn, and you know they seem to be really excited about Gerner. I think they're going to hit the portal. I just don't, I, I still stand by that. I, st- I still just don't know how there has been any evidence at this point that would suggest to us. That Demetrius Davis will end up being a starting quarterback at Auburn one day, barring like but if they
4: don't if they don't get better on the offensive line, guys, they need his athleticism back there. And I'm a big believer that your quarterback has got to be athletic nowadays. I know somebody's going to call up and bring up some of the drop back passers, and that's fine and all well and good, but I think those guys are better athletes than you think they are.
1: Bryce Young's an example. I think he, he is a stand in the pocket player, but when he needs to, he can stretch a play out with his legs and pick and, up and a what first is down. You
4: know, six foot, six one.
1: Yeah, let's see what they've actually got him listed at because I don't even know if he's that tall. Yeah, they may yeah, list him so, at that.
4: Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, the the days of a six five quarterback are gone, and if you're not going to be if you're going to be average on the offensive line, the drawback passers are sitting duck.
1: Yeah, and he's it's, six uh, feet that's tall. Right. That's what they that's that's what they've got Bryce Young at is six feet. But there's also a few even. quarterbacks like Bryce Young too, though. You know,
4: not well, true. I, They're just that's just that's just the special you know the the special nature of Bryce Young, but. At the same time, I just, I just believe we live in a time now where you, it's athletic and as big and strong as some of the defensive guys are now, you've got to have a quarterback who can create a little bit. And if you're looking for a drop-back passer, forget it. It's not going to work. Guys, I'm tired of people saying you win with champion, you win championships with defense. It doesn't work anymore. This is 2021, almost 22. It doesn't work anymore. I'm sorry. I know that people like to live in that fantasy world, but this is an offensive game now. And that's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, the rules have been slanted that way. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination – you can win with a terrible defense. I didn't say that. But you can win with an average one. What was Auburn in 2013? When you say they were average, maybe were a little bit better than average?
1: Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say they are above average. They were fine.
4: Yeah, so, so, I mean, I, this year, even people talk about Alabama this year is, is not as good as years past on defense. They're still pretty doggone good.
1: Yeah, and I don't but disagree you with that. I think you're 100% right. I, I think the key to winning a national championship at this day and age, you need an elite quarterback, you need a good offensive line, and you need uh, you need a serviceable to good defense. I mean, when LSU won two years ago, they were still giving up like twenty three a game.
4: Yeah, but remember something, guys: the greatest defense in the world can only guarantee you a tie.
1: That is very true. You remind us that on a, on an, a very often, Terry. <laughs>
4: I just I just it just bothers me when people say you win with great defense. I mean, this is not nineteen eighty no more. Pat Dye's not not around. So I mean, that's just it. I mean, the the style of football that Bear Bryant, Pat Dye, and those guys played, they wouldn't win today. You couldn't run the wishbone nowadays.
1: Well, there's a reason why Georgia's not getting over the hump, so I don't totally disagree well, with you. Well, his name Stetson Bennett. Yeah. They need better quarterback play as well. You are 100% right. Terry, we appreciate the call, my man. Sure. Take care,
4: guys.
1: That was Terry on the line with us. I think the only thing that I disagree with Terry on is the mobility of the quarterback that you need it. Um, I mean, I look to the NFL level, and there's only – I mean, definitely quarterbacks to this day – Are more athletic than they were 10 years ago sure so it definitely helps like i'm not disagreeing with the point that it's great to have guys like bryce young that can move like that and that are able to do damage outside the pocket but i mean super bowl winning quarterbacks right now in the league like there are very few that even do that at a high level right that are able to add that type of mobility i mean you think about patrick mahomes He is a Super Bowl winning quarterback recently, but Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl last year. I mean, you look at the last couple of Super Bowl quarterbacks, Tom Brady statue, Patrick Mahomes is athletic, can do things outside the pocket. Tom Brady again, but the quarterback that he played against was Jarrett Goff, so you had two statues in that Super Bowl. You go back to the Philadelphia Eagles and Patriots Super Bowl, that was Tom Brady and Nick Foles. I mean, there's a lot of statues that are playing the game at the highest level, and I know Terry's talking about college, but I still think it stands that the mobility is not the most important part. It's the effectiveness of the passing game. Right. Let's head back to the phone lines again. We've got Ed on the line with this. Ed, how's it going?
5: Doing great, guys. How are you doing?
1: We're doing real well. What's up?
5: The uh, call, uh, you know, I was going to kind of mention, you know, Terry, he's always got a really good call, and that one was. But, you know, as far as a, a guy's height, you know, that. You know, the guys that you just mentioned, both of those are over six foot, you know, and he's if if you look at the best ones, being 6'2 or 6'3, you know, it's a little bit of advantage than being 5'10, you know, 6'4, yeah. but that, not that much, and I, you know, agree with that, but as far as I was just, like, on the, the whole recruiting thing, uh, I, you know, I know Auburn also went back towards, uh, you know, a little bit of height in their receivers and their defensive backs, and I don't know if we're going to play like a a two one eight defense next year, or or what we kind of play. We've got some good DBs in there. Yeah, yeah. But,
1: I'm really uh, excited about the the defensive backs. They brought in six in this class, and they all look to be really physical.
5: Yeah, yeah, and the Robert Woodyard, You know, Woodard, you know that, that that that's just a big. That's, I mean, for uh, I, I know you. It's been in the paper, Stephen something roberts that auburn got to in 2014 is the last time auburn got a guy to flip from bama and you know and this is not just any guy this guy is he's definitely good oh yeah i think think he'll play maybe next year you know his linebacker or perhaps
1: and you talk about the way the defensive backs play you know, Robert Woodyard's got great ball skills. He's someone that I think they'll be able to drop into coverage a lot in the in the yeah. interior of that second level and be able to I mean he's got several interceptions on his highlight team.
5: Yeah, and, and then like you said, mba I think we've got a, a pretty good chance, you know, on that. That that'll kind of solidify with the other two guys we got. We've at least got some, you know, some some big guys up there for defensive line, you know, to help and uh receivers you know still need maybe one and maybe you know transfer quarterback even if not you know even if uh you know we've got the i, I don't know but uh holding garner i i think the world uh you know I, I hope he but you know a lot of a lot of times it takes a kid a few games and so if we get a, if we could get a transfer but uh Anyway, uh, War Eagle, and I, I think they did pretty good. Of course, like y'all mentioned, we still got to get a few offensive linemen, but I think they've got I think they've got their eyes on a few. And I, I think if a, if a, if one's looking for playing time, I think you know. And uh, I'm gonna tell you something else real quick. I'm pretty disappointed. Do yeah, Wargle and Go. Okay,
2: I don't know what happened there. I don't know what happened there either.
1: Ed, we appreciate the call, my man. War Eagle to you as well. That was Ed on the line with us. Ed, uh, looking forward to hearing from you again sometime soon. And now we're going to move on to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. We got Eric on the line with us. Eric, how's it going?
6: Hey guys, I'm doing good. I think maybe you had my microphone on as well because I'm the one that said please just say war eagle and go.
1: Well, we had we so, uh, we need to go back I'm sorry. during the break. We're going to go and check some things on the board because we had your mic off, and I think we need to because uh, oh. we did have your mic off. But y'all might have been able to hear each other on the phone line when we had both of y'all parked on hold. So um, okay, we'll check well, with that.
6: I was just trying to hurry him up. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Hey, real quick, did did Texas say anything? Get a quarterback because as we know like you said earlier quarterback is how you're going to win a national championship so I don't really think that uh, Texas a is ever going to win a national championship anyway just like Kirby Smart is not going to because they need that elite quarterback and they're not but and they don't have it
2: they um, they did pick up a five-star kid and Connor Wiegman uh in this class
6: okay they did okay yeah number I two quarterback in
2: the in the country
6: Okay, well then he may do it uh, out there at Texas A and M. My other comment was, have you guys gone back and looked at the game, the Iron Bowl, because before he threw that Bryce, uh, what's his name, threw that touchdown, the time had ran out and there should have been a delayed game penalty. Yep. (laughs) And so if that moves that ball back five yards, I don't think he's making that touchdown pass.
2: Yeah, there were four. So that,
6: that, that was a big missed call there.
2: There were somewhere between four and six missed calls on that drive that the officials just turned a blind eye to, and I'm going to be honest, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. You know, props to Alabama for winning the game and coming back, but nothing, and I mean nothing, was called on that drive.
6: No, they weren't. No, I, I totally agree, and especially that last one. I went back and watched it. I watched the uh, time ran out. It was 0 and he, he still got the playoff and still made the touchdown i think that would have made a big difference in that last play of the game
2: i completely agree
6: yep hey thanks for taking my call i still don't think kirby smart's gonna do it unless he gets a big quarterback too.
1: i don't disagree they got the the gunner kid but we appreciate the call eric
6: hey thanks guys have a good afternoon
1: that was eric on the line with us yeah they've got gunner what's the last name uh stockton yeah gunner stockton they've got him in their class and
2: i auburn wanted him they wanted him bad i wanted him bad uh and he uh ended up recruiting or going to uh the georgia bulldogs yeah uh i think that was a good point that eric made you also need a quarterback uh that that can get you over the hump you don't need just an offense you need a competent quarterback and uh and all these great teams have it and uh if if connor i believe it's connor wiegman i believe josh pate said that on that's that's how he pronounced it uh yesterday uh if he's going to be that guy you know we'll just have to wait see if he is but uh again like i said all of these great teams they need a quarterback bryce young uh, the perfect example this season phone lines
1: are blowing up here on the thursday edition of the show we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we continue to break down what happened on signing day yesterday you're listening to on the line thursday edition of on the line noah gardner and lance doll with you on espn 1067 and fox sports central alabama number to call 334-321-1390 got about eight minutes left in hour number one talking national signing day here on the thursday edition of the show we were talking about oklahoma a little while ago and we we had a flurry of calls there which we appreciate everybody's calls and we want you to keep calling in the phone lines are blowing up here on the thursday edition Already had four folks calling it in. If you want to join in on the crew, once again, 334 321 I want to go back to Ty the Tigers call from a couple of segments ago. We were talking about Oklahoma and them finishing 10th. They have not finished in a single digit nationally since three recruiting classes ago. And repeatedly during that time period, Alabama and Georgia have constantly placed one, two, you know, one, three, something like right. that. You know, then the top three a and has now gotten inside that first spot. Texas has finished in front of Oklahoma on a consistent basis in the recruiting rankings.
2: Not Oklahoma- on the field, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: well, not in front of many teams in the Big 12 on the field, including Kansas, but I'm going to continue to bring that. Uh, go Rock Chalk Jayhawk, man, bring it. All right, so you look at it that way and you say, all right, they are seven spots down in the recruiting rankings, which to me is a sizable gap. There's a massive difference between three and ten with the way that those guys are recruiting There's like a four-point difference in average recruit rating between those teams, and that's a big deal. When you're breaking down averages, most teams are just kind of split by one here and there, and once you get outside the top three, there's a big difference in the average overall, dude. I mean, to put this in perspective, Georgia has two five-star cornerbacks coming into their class and one five-star safety, okay? Like, their secondary is loaded with five-star talent, and the same as Alabama and the same as Texas A&M, and it's not just about the secondary. I I know it's about everywhere, but they do that at multiple position groups across the board, These these teams have a clear and sizable advantage in the recruiting rankings right now, and they've done it for about three or four years now. And sure, Oklahoma's hovered around that top 10 spot, but they have not been in a single digit in three years. I just don't see how they have recruited 40 spots better than Iowa State and Kansas State, at least on a regular basis. They found ways to lose to them on a regular basis, and now they're coming into a league where everybody recruits at least on the sa- or many teams in the, in the league recruit on the same level, if not better than them.
2: Yeah, we got we got news. The SEC's got news for for Texas and Oklahoma. We we don't play like Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU, Kansas. We don't we don't play like those teams. This is this is big boy football now, uh, and I'm just curious to see how do uh, Texas and Oklahoma handle the transition. Are they going to be able to continue to keep up in the recruiting rankings if they are potentially losing more often than they did in the Big Twelve? I might go as far to say that Texas has a
1: better talent base at this point that's upon fair. entering the league based on recruiting rankings. But, once again, that's a place where you have to look in the mirror and say, well, what's wrong with me that I haven't been able to win like this? So they finished top five this year with S- Steve Sarkeesian. Last year, because of the coach firing, they dropped to 15. That was too good for second in the Big 12. But you go beyond that. You go to 2020, they finished eighth you go to 2019 they finished Is this trying to pull up once again they finished 8th in 2020 you go to 2019 they finished third you go to 2018 they finished third check that it brought back up 2009 yeah 2018 they finished third and then 2017 uh breaking it down all the way back like five classes ago in 2017 they finished 25th so In the last four years, you stop at the 2018 class because those are the guys still on campus. 2018 on, they've had two top three recruiting classes, one that finished
2: in the top five and
1: one that finished at eight.
2: And they've not been putting out wins consistently. They
1: haven't, and I have have no idea – how but it may have something to do with the fact that that
2: 2017 class was ranked 25th right at the same time though i mean like you still should be beating the kansas states and the iowa states of the world like you're still at 25 you're still recruiting better than those schools and with the with the coaching staffs that you bring in and the money and the resources and the fact that you're a big boy blue blood powerhouse program you should be able to beat some of those teams but they didn't and so like i was saying earlier it's like i don't know what's going on at the university of texas i don't know if it's just like it's it's consistently regardless of what coach is there it's consistently just weird how that program operates given the talent that they have
1: so everything outside of recruiting oklahoma's probably in a better location obviously than texas is uh inside their program the way that they're handling things right now but texas from a recruiting standpoint is a lot of talent i just don't know
2: like which team do you think is going to ultimately be in a better position when it's all said and done i think Hmm, that's a good question. I think a lot of it hinges on the coaching staff. And I've not gotten to see Brett Venables, and I've not gotten to see Jeff Lebby, and I've not gotten to see these different guys at Oklahoma. And honestly, we've only gotten one year Steve Sarkeesian. Which um, is not enough to judge him on. Which is not enough to judge him on, although, although I will say he got whooped by the one SEC team that he played. Um, but uh, I think that we – I think, and I hate to give this answer because it's kind of like lame – uh, but I think that we need to to see a, for a season or two more just to see what these two programs are like now that they both have new coaches. If I were to guess, I would like to say I would like to say Texas be, simply because they do recruit uh, better. But those coaching staffs or that that they've had in the past have not been able to bring them to glory. I would say Texas though because they do they they've got more talent. I'm gonna
1: go with Oklahoma because I trust their coaches more than Steve Sarkeesian. That's fair. And Steve Sarkeesian, as a head coach prior to this stop, has been up and down and turbulent just because he was OC at Alabama under the regime. Like I'm not going to sit here and think that he's, he's he has fixed his head coaching issues. He may be a great coordinator, but not as good at managing a program. I'll be curious to see if all gas, no brakes can work at Texas, whereas... Oklahoma, I think there's a culture already set in, and Brent Venables fits that culture, and he's brought in two really good coordinators to come, or one really good coordinator, and then Ted Roof, uh, to come in and, and be with him to help transition this You know, this new coaching shift at Oklahoma. Can he capitalize off of Oklahoma's brand and their history and their reputation? That's remained to be seen. But I'm going to go just because Oklahoma's got a better starting point entering the league, I'm gonna go
2: with OU. That's fair. I completely completely But I don't
1: disagree with you on the talent. That that's why I made the point that I think Texas from a recruiting standpoint, entering into the SEC has a lot to work with. It is on them if they can't find a way to win. It's
2: just like, will the coaching staff actually elevate that talent to the point where they can actually compete in the SEC? And and I think it's a very fair point to say, yeah, I doubt it, <laughs> based on Steve Sarkeesian's track record. I also do think, though, I want to see what Brent Vittable looks like at Oklahoma. I do want to see what that, that team looks like uh, now that uh, – now that uh lincoln riley is gone but I, I do i do think that it's fair to say oklahoma because of the stability that they've had uh with with their coaches it's uh, it feels like it's worked out and you look at the head head to head between those two schools i mean oklahoma despite their uh their lack of talent as opposed to texas not saying that they aren't talented i'm just saying as opposed to texas in terms of recruiting rankings they've still been able to beat them head to head on the field so i think that's very fair You know something that I'm surprised about as we're
1: about to get out of here for hour number one? Michigan really didn't do anything special, even though they're having a special year. You think a playoff year, Michigan would do better than nine? Yep. Hmm. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up on the other side of this break.
0: are on the line. 502.
1: Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Programming note for tomorrow. Pre recorded edition of On the Line tomorrow. Still listen. Let me tell you why. Bowl special on On the Line as bowl games start tomorrow, and I pick every single
2: bowl matchup. Give you my prediction on every single one. If you are a college football junkie and you need your fix, tomorrow's episode is going to be the place for you. A preview of every single bowl game. Noah Gardner is going to break it down. I'm going to tell you about Eastern Michigan quarterback Ben Bryant. Is he good? Well, he's going to lose to Liberty, but he is pretty Ah, good.
1: 2,900 passing yards. Look, I don't spend a whole lot of time on those. I break it down, though. Every single one, I'm going to help you make selections across bowl season of course bowl games do start tomorrow so if you're filling them out on ESPN.com just a reminder to you if you're filling them out the first game locks at 11 a.m in the Bahamas Bowl with Middle Tennessee State against Toledo so that's the only one actually that I don't pick on tomorrow's show is because that one will have already taken place at the time that the show airs so I pick all but one just spoiler alert I pick
2: Toledo We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to lie. I just realized that bull season starts tomorrow. I thought it started this Saturday. I thought it did as well. Most of the time it does. Instead, they wanted to hurt me,
1: and they wanted to put it on a Friday when we all still work. At 11 (laughs) a.m. And then the NFL also wanted to hurt me and put the team that I root for
2: playing on Saturday and the Cleveland Browns. So I have to watch... Can you, explain, the Browns play. can you explain why that is, why they're having two games on Saturday? Do you know? Well, around this
1: time of year, the NFL sees it as an opportunity, I'm sure, to capitalize on viewership considering there are less college football games. So now they're like, well, we're going on Saturday. But it's really bad news for the Cleveland Browns. And I won't spend too much time on this, but it's really bad news for the Cleveland Browns who have half their team out sick with COVID. Yeah. So I needed
2: the extra day. We needed the extra day to produce negative tests. No, I got I got good news for you. The Raiders are not beating the Browns on the road. They've they've lost. They've lost four of their you five just of their doomed last six. Us to a loss, man. Dude, they're all. They are not. No, it's S- not.
1: They, Kevin Stefanski is sick. Baker is sick. Half the O line is sick. Jarvis is sick. Austin Hooper is sick. All of my guys are sick, dude
2: and the Raiders are still not going to win. Look, they've scored 16, 14, 13, 15, and 9 in their last five losses.
1: Fortunately, the defense is relatively untouched, Th- that's what and I was, then the Browns' defense is nasty.
2: So as Miles Garrett's good to go, hey man, three scooping scores, and that's a win. Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say, is that the defense for the Browns, though, pretty solid, could carry them to a win in this game.
1: They've been carrying the Browns to a 7-6 record at this point, because the offense ain't been ain't been it, man, and I don't think it is on Saturday with, I would assume, Case Keenum starting so that that's that's fine no it's not no it's not but he is 1-0 this year as a starter just saying did beat the broncos but so that's what you've got to look forward to tomorrow not the cleveland browns but an on the line bowl special pre-recorded from 2 to 4 p.m as always on ESPN 106.7 at fox sports central alabama moving along here in hour number two i want to start off hour number two going back to recruiting national signing day yesterday Several folks asking us about how we thought this class went. Now I want to take this in comparison to the rest of the SEC. Auburn,
2: how does it shake up versus everyone else? Because I think yesterday was a big win. Well, they were, like I mentioned earlier, just a few weeks ago, sitting at 13th in the SEC. They finished, they are currently 7th in the in the conference. So right there in the middle of the pack uh, at, at, at number 7. Uh, you do look at their average uh, rating of recruit and they are above Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, so they would technically be, like, what, fifth, fourth in the SEC? They'd be uh, fourth. Fourth in the SEC in terms of average recruit ranking. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think that the, the fact that Auburn was, was able to sign some guys that were, were high profile uh, was great because it did boost them up in the SEC rankings. I'll say this, teams like – and we, we were discussing this earlier – teams like Missouri and Kentucky, the fact that they're in the top five – it's just weird to me, man. It's, it's not good for the SEC, I don't think. It's not good for the SEC. I, I would agree with that because you're like you just like you, I think you made this point earlier in the show. The fact that your your blue blood programs, so to speak, are your best programs outside of Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M teams like Auburn, LSU, Florida, they're in the bottom half of the SEC recruiting like rankings. That's not good. That is not good for uh, for conference parity. Uh, and that that's it is a little concerning for the future if, if things continue to trend in that direction
1: big win for Auburn not only because they skyrocketed but also because they took LSU's lunch money
2: oh yeah every they it, straight up bullied them in recruiting yeah they uh got they got Jerry, Jadarian rim to flip um they picked up a couple other uh players from the uh, state of Louisiana right out of Baton Rouge Austin, Austin Osbury, Osbury four-star corner uh yeah Auburn went straight into the heart of uh, of of louisiana and they took a couple of really big pieces that dropped lsu all the way down to 18 which granted i think
1: they will recover this will probably be a year where they hit the portal to fulfill their needs that they were not able to because of a coaching change florida's another team that collapsed they were able to find a way to get to 50 but they're 50th florida and that's another team that i think you, you look at they got um was it kamari what was the last name kamari rogers was that who was that who committed to florida over georgia the five-star kamari wilson kamari wilson excuse me kamari wilson committing to florida over georgia like that one's a big bump and that one shows you what billy napier can do as a recruiter in gainesville can he close on some guys over the next two months i'll tell you this i don't want to have to recruit against florida period with billy napier there I think you're going to lose a lot of battles against the guy.
2: I agree. Uh, Although I will say, if you're going to try and establish, you know, if you're going to try and establish yourself in that territory, right? I think year one against Napier is a a great place to start because he is still just trying to get uh, into the thick of things, right? So if there are teams in the SEC East even that want to try and make their way down into Florida and start trying to assert themselves in that state, you got to try and do it now because, like you just said, in the future do not want to be recruiting against this guy. The fact that he was able to pick up Kamari Wilson proves that he does have some potential with that program. Although I will say for this season, Uh, he's got a long ways to go over the next couple months, and I do think that they're probably going to hit the portal hard as well as LSU.
1: Ole Miss didn't have a good day. Arkansas finished a spot below LSU. Auburn all in all, I mean, of course, it doesn't help that A&M did what they did for, once again, the power struggle of the SEC. Like, that's another team that is going to try and wedge itself between Auburn and Alabama, and Auburn trying to be one of the major players in the SEC West, which they are. I mean, when you break it down, they who's the team out of the sec west that goes to sec championships if it's not alabama it's auburn and lsu's done it twice auburn's done it twice so those are the two teams i think lsu under brian kelly will still be able to do that it's just about to get really really competitive and it's great for auburn that they were able to beat out LSU in this year's class, but it's about to get really difficult to recruit in Auburn's case because A&M just finished number 1. LSU's got Brian Kelly. Billy Napier's going to produce a lot of pressure south of you in Florida. You still have to go against Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. Clemson's going to try and cherry cherry-pick recruits in this area. It's tough, man. This, this feels like the toughest it's ever been, recruiting in the Southeast.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. It's uh, It's not looking good for some of these teams in the conference.
1: It's gonna make it even tougher for Auburn. But breaking yep. down Auburn's recruiting class that currently stands at number sixteen after early signing day, seventh in the SEC as you mentioned, but their average rating of recruit would put them in the top five.
2: Who's the guy out of this group that you are excited about the most? Well, I'm gonna be honest, I really like all of the corners that Auburn was able to pick up in this class, but I'll say honestly, out of out of every single guy. Ooh, this is actually tough. I've got a couple of guys I really like. I do like Keontae Scott, the uh, the Juco transfer uh, cornerback, the number one at his position. I also really, really like Holden G, Austin Osbury. I think I, I like those three guys the most.
1: I love Robert Woodyard's film, and the flip aspect of his recruitment is also particularly enticing. I like Jadarian Rim for the same reason. Auburn able to win those battles, over other SEC teams, once again, shows you that this coaching staff can recruit. What I like so much about Robert Woodyard, the linebacker commit for Auburn, what I like so much about Woodyard is that he fits this scheme perfectly. He played in the 3 4 defense in high school. He plays inside linebacker, six foot one, 210 pounds. You watch him on film, his ball skills jump out to you. He played running back and wide receiver, so you know his feet are good. You know he's got pretty good hands. Early on in his highlight tape, interceptions are there. The guy, he reads the quarterback well, keeps his eye on the quarterback. He's good in zone coverage. Now, do I think he's going to be very
2: good at man-to-man coverage? No, but I don't think they're going to ask him to do that. Do you know who he reminds me of?
1: no I don't because I don't see a whole lot out of you I don't see a whole lot of Auburn's linebackers out of him right now it's
2: not an Auburn linebacker Roquan Smith interesting Who is almost the exact same size as him really yeah both 6'1 about 215
1: I want to see more of this guy in run stopping Roquan had a real mean streak not saying that that doesn't show up on film here for Woodyard roquan was nasty
2: man woodyard after watching his tape looks like he does have the potential to not necessarily be that drop back guy although we did see in his film him get a couple of interceptions he does look like he could be capable of being a solid run stopper
1: yeah i think he could do both i think he's a very good balanced linebacker in the interior of that second level of the defense that's going to be able to drop back and make plays um you know kind of an Owen Papo type except Owen Papo is on a whole nother level from an athleticism standpoint Let's step out of the phone lines again three three four three two one thirteen Niner and Spectre uh Spectre is with us Spectre what's going on
7: hey uh just sitting here listening to you guys did I hear right that Napier uh, got a five star from Georgia
1: he did yeah he flipped a uh, Georgia commit
7: well 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 you guys give our coaching staff a, a pass because of uh First year what i don't i don't get it
1: i mean to be fair though napier still finished you know 50th in recruiting
7: yeah but the fact that i'm talking about him just getting a five star
1: yeah and auburn not having one
2: yeah exactly
1: i don't think auburn attempted to to be
2: fair i don't think auburn really attempted to go after any five stars in this class not in this class but next Next year year, if they don't get one i'm right there with specter
7: Okay, I, I agree with that, but uh, why wouldn't they want to get a 5-star for this class? I,
2: don't I think, go I, don't ahead, think I don't think they were necessarily in the running for one, right? And so I think the goal for this class is to it was to just focus get what on, you can get. exactly, focus on the guys that you could pick up and I mean they did pick up quite a few 4-stars, more than I expected, but still I'm right there with Specter. If they don't get a 5-star kid next year, I fully expect them to do so. I don't know who it is, but if they don't get one next year, then I'm right there with them. Okay, I'm like why cannot they not get the big boys?
7: Well, I will say this, if, if you've got a good coach that knows how to develop players, and I ain't talking about just one coach, I'm talking about all of them, actually, you can take four stars and turn them into five stars. Yeah, right.
1: So, and the we'll previous see. coaching staff took five stars and turned them into four stars.
7: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Or either that, let them, let them get into the portal. That's yeah. right.
2: Yeah, exactly.
7: All right guys. I'll keep listening. See you
1: later. Appreciate it, Spectre. That was Spectre on the line with us. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety is the number to call. I'm with him. I understand. Also think that um, you know, talking about Billy Napier and why he was able to get that guy. I mean, it helps to be in the the, the circle with a recruit like that to already have a good standing relationship with somebody. And I don't think this coaching staff came in with a good standing relationship. Um what did Florida finish last year in recruiting? Do we know?
2: I don't. I can go pull that up really quickly for you.
1: Um, because I also think that the you know just now that I think about this a little more, a little bit more, and I wish this had occurred to me when he was on the phone line with us. But just now that I think about this a little bit more, I think Florida entered with a little bit better of
2: a recruiting twelfth nationally, fifth in the SEC.
1: Like I think Florida came with a better recruiting situation. Napier did not not necessarily this year, but what I'm trying to say is. Although Florida did just finish 50th, Florida finished 12th last year in recruiting. Auburn had to get a late push from Brian Harson just to get Auburn inside the top 30 last year. Mm-hmm. Like Gus had Auburn outside the top 40 last season when Brian Harson took over. So it's not like Auburn came in this year, you you win these five stars when they're juniors. Like you you start to build those relationships when they are juniors for the big guys. And that's why Auburn is going after these fours and these fives in next year's class that's why i think it's fair to say all right can all can these coaches close on the big names next year and why i'm not holding them accountable for those guys this year because these schools like florida who you know recruited fine last year recruited well last year finished top 12 they were already in on those guys because they didn't have a coaching change just yet now of course the coaching change happened this year napier is outside the top 50 so i'm not saying that he's done a great job or anything like that but like you said at least Florida was already in on a guy you know what I mean I don't think Auburn has had relationships or good relationships with these high value targets in the last two or three seasons just look at Auburn's recruiting history
2: yeah, Gus Malzahn did not set the, this program up well to just immediately bounce back and be at a point like Florida was. I think that it's easier to recruit at a place like Florida. Yeah, and I think that uh, they were in a better situation, even though Dan Mullen decided at the end of the season he was like, you know what, it's not recruiting season, so therefore I'm just not going to recruit. I'm done. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, but but seriously though, I think that Florida is was in a much better spot uh, when Napier took over as opposed to what Brian Harson was stepping into. It was a much, much, much more difficult situation. Although I will say, I do agree with Specter, If Auburn does not build up to the point where they can get one of those five-star kids next season, uh, I am going to be a little bit concerned because what was the reason of hiring Brian Harson in the first place if not to recruit better, put out a better product, and compete with Alabama and Georgia at least every other season? I mean, the last time Auburn
1: got a five-star was 2019. Florida got one last year.
2: Derek Brown. I'm no, saying, no no
1: not dare brown that's a long long time ago Owen oh, papo Owen oh, and papo and bonex they had they had oh, two you. five stars in 2019 which still two five stars only got auburn to
2: 11th that year in recruiting wow just saying wow you pick up two five stars and you're 11th that that's surprising so i didn't even realize that you
1: break that down i mean like auburn's not you know i would like to see auburn get those guys but like you said I, and you said it much better than i did Gus Malzahn didn't exactly give didn't exactly set Auburn up in a good position when Brian Harson took over. I mean, Brian Hartson took over in the middle of the pandemic outside the top 40. And the way that Auburn succeeds in recruiting is selling the Auburn experience. Getting guys on campus is a big part of that. And if they can't get guys on campus, they're gonna have a hard time closing on recruits. So part of that wasn't entirely Gus's fault because he was ha- because his major recruiting pitch couldn't happen because he couldn't get guys on campus, right? and then you talk about auburn finally being able to get guys on campus this year think about this when did auburn do their most damage in recruiting this year
2: uh just in early signing day right in the last three weeks right. and what has
1: happened in the last three weeks
2: outside of that
1: yeah i mean it's the biggest game in football iron bowl happened right uh, i forgot, and, I forgot it's about, like, about so that so no. like and what is a part of the iron ball a massive wave of guys coming on visits and guess how many of those dudes are committing to auburn right now a lot of them Quite so, a bit, actually so like that on the one hand like i think this coaching staff is showing their ability to close and ride that momentum and being able to sell auburn but i think a big part of it is getting them on campus and gus wasn't able to get any of those juniors on campus because of covid and whatnot and i think that played a part in auburn being behind the eight ball right now i'm sure other schools couldn't get those those players on campus either but also don't think that their brands and their recruiting is as predicated on their school's experience Mm -hmm. as it is on their facilities and their program reputation and their uh, overall history and whatnot i mean i I hate to be like this but florida has had um, more national success in some ways than auburn, at least in the ways of national championships because they they want to with urban meyer and then of course the 2010s have been turbulent and up and down but it's been turbulent and up and down for auburn too
2: yeah i would i would agree with that i would agree with the that statement about you know florida i think has had a little bit more success on the Not national much stage in the last Not 10 years lot, no but still i mean that they, they've uh like florida's had more right like
1: florida has had more horrible seasons in the last 10 years and maybe only like you know, I mean, think about it. They went to two SEC championships with McElwain, and then they went to one with Dan Mullen. Then I'm trying to think. They went to one, I believe, with – they had a double-digit win season, Will Muschamp. I don't think they went to the SEC title that year, In though. In 2015? No, it was 20. 20- 12, would that
2: have been way back when with must champ 2012 florida did have an 11 win season or but, 12 win and they
1: season. went to the sugar bowl and lost to louisville but georgia went to that sec championship yep. so i mean like you look at the great years for florida like they have more great years than auburn in the last 10 years but also no national championship appearances they haven't won an sec championship in the last 10 years so like that it, it's maybe been a lot more you talk about the roller coaster of emotions at auburn it's been a lot more turbulent at Florida I think but they've also had more double-digit win seasons
2: yeah I I would I would agree with that I I also think that Florida's been to a lot more SEC championships but but to the point about like Florida being in a better position like they wouldn't be going to those SEC championships if they were in the SEC West right if they were in Auburn's position so that that brings us back to the point is like it is so much more difficult to be in Auburn's position than it is to be in Florida's position
1: right and you know, they were in on some of these five stars already, I think, from a from a recruiting standpoint yeah. building those relationships that all Billy Napier had to do, despite the fact that it did not look like Dan Mullen liked to recruit, all Billy Napier had to do was come in and close. And Billy Napier can do that. Brian Harson did not like that that was not the case with Brian Harson. Brian Harson didn't have to come in and just close. Brian Harson had to build from scratch. He had to he had to fix things. Yep. You know, like he had to start a fire with with nothing yep and he did he found a way to do it that's why i'm so impressed with his coaching staff was that brian harson was able to kindle something out of nothing I i think that's the best way to put it yep let's to a quick break here on on the line
2: back on on the line lance Daw, noah gardner here with you on espn 1067 and fox sports central alabama really appreciate All the phone calls today, if you want to call in, give your thoughts on anything going on in the sports world, 334-321-1390 is the number. To dial we did not get a chance to talk about this auburn basketball victors over north alabama just the other night 70 to 44 was the final score tuna went down hard auburn defensively was able to uh to uh, hold north alabama to their lowest point total of the entire season auburn has not held an opponent under 45 points or less since they beat troy last season it was a really solid defensive effort from the tigers what did you take away from the contest noah
1: First half was a lot different than the second half, and I don't want people to think I'm being nitpicky or saying anything negative about Auburn based off of breaking down and saying there were really good things in the second half and maybe not so good things in the first half. I just think this is the nature of how the game played out. But this is not a knock on Stephen Pearl, what I'm about to go down into, but I think part of the reasons why Auburn played the way that they did and only had a five-point lead at halftime over North Alabama had a lot to do with Bruce Pearl not being there Mm -hmm. now that once again that is not a knock on Stephen Pearl that is not you know anything to do with that I still think you know if he ends up being a head coach one day even if that ends up happening at Auburn like if he's the next in line you know I, I think he's very capable of doing a good job but it seemed like there was a lack of energy in the gym in the first half and Bruce Pearl doesn't let that happen. Bruce Pearl, as soon as he sees stuff like that happening, he's on his players, he's loud, he's vocal. Bruce Pearl just has a lot more energy. Not to say that Stephen Pearl doesn't have energy or that he's not capable of being a good head coach or that any of those assistants weren't capable of doing that, but it seemed like the staff was having a hard time effectively getting the guys to pick up that energy. And you know what it probably was, if you think about it? They were playing on the basket on the other end of the floor. Yep. That may have had something to do with it because the second half they were shooting on the basket that was in front of their own bench. So you you know, I think from that standpoint, the first half and the second half literally could have been just that difference there that that was playing out that Bruce Pearl was not in the house.
2: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. No, I, I definitely think that there was a lack of energy, a lack of intensity uh, on Saturday, especially so on the offensive end when you talk about getting into the paint and making shots. Auburn was 9 of 22 on layups. Uh, that's not good. Uh, that that is not good and that's a focus thing yeah I completely completely agree I think that's a focus thing and then also I'll say this at no point did I see Bruce or excuse me Stephen Pearl sweat through his shirt I'm like all right we're gonna we're, we're not gonna play well today I'm kidding <laughs> I'm kidding but yeah I think Pearl at different times you noticed that he was trying to get the team back into it he was like hey come on let's pick up the energy uh and then the team would snap out of it for about 30 seconds and then they go right back into the lull uh, of things they didn't score any points over the last four and a half minutes of the game there were several stretches in this game where auburn just couldn't buy a bucket and this north alabama defense it's not terrible but auburn should be able to put up more than 70 against north alabama they didn't cover uh tonight they they, they barely just in fact did not cover uh really impressed with, with what i saw on the defensive end but at, at the same time it felt like alabama or north alabama had open looks that they just didn't knock down if you play an opponent with the lack of energy that that auburn did in the future that can make those shots auburn's going to be a really tough spot st louis this weekend at night at eight o'clock that could be a really tough game pearl's going to be back for that one so i would like to see the the energy and the intensity kind of uh reassert itself in that matchup but uh it was a good win overall but the tigers uh, definitely lacked uh, some energy And in
1: the second half, they found that energy. And offensively, that showed up as they scored 38 points in the second half. And that's partially dampened by the fact that the last four minutes were spent playing with walk-ons, which I'm completely fine with. But, uh, you know, it it wasn't great from that standpoint. And I told you North Alabama was going to bring the energy. The fact that North Alabama came away with 10 offensive rebounds, they were out rebounding Auburn at halftime. Now, Auburn finished the second half with 10 more rebounds than North Alabama. And Auburn got those 16 offensive boards that they did. So the energy ratcheted up. Uh, Another area of the game that I was looking at that I was curious about to see if Auburn was going to effectively capitalize on, and they did in the second half, not the first half, Auburn was like 2-for-6 at halftime for free throws. They finished 11-for-16, so not great, but they at least were able to get to the charity stripe um, more often. I think that they should have done it more considering... Um, per game north alabama averages over 18 personal fouls per game in this game they finished with 17 so they actually went under that average which tells me that auburn wasn't aggressive enough the
2: aggressiveness came in the second half yep you talk about those offensive rebounds north alabama had nine of them in the first half they had one in the second half Auburn definitely stepped it up on the boards the lack of intensity yeah. was definitely there in the first half but like you said Auburn uh definitely uh definitely stepped things up in the second half also talking about like plus minuses and different things like that every single player that touched the court for North Alabama that played a minute finished with a negative plus minus brutal every single player brutal and then you look at the the, the uh the guys that had a negative plus minus for Auburn uh all the uh, all of the walk-ons that got to play and then everybody else had a very high plus minus i will say i will say this jabari smith did not have his most efficient night he shot 15 shots made four of them uh, that that is an anomaly after you see the rest of his games this season he's going to shoot better moving forward he took a lot of contested shots though a lot of fadeaways
1: yep. a lot of mid-range jumpers with a hand in his face with alabama tried to deny him of that so shot selection was something that came back to bite auburn a little bit in this game and that's why you see him shooting 36 percent That's it for this segment. We'll be back with more on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance doll with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. number to call 334 321 1390. Our text line at 334 564 1840. That'll put you through to us here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Some interesting news out there. Now, the ESPN article, not overly specific, but. Supposedly, the NFL is working with the NFL Players Association to negotiate changes to the league's COVID-19 protocols, which
2: is going to help some of these teams that are laden with outbreaks to be able to get some guys back quicker. And and it's, the article's not very specific as to how they're going to go about doing that?
1: Vaccinated players that are asymptomatic, but it's not specific as to how they are going to relax the requirements right so they're saying currently that the requirements to get back is two negative tests 24 hours apart if you're vaccinated and are not experiencing symptoms or anything like that for you to be able to get back out on the field so that takes some time obviously for that to occur mm-hmm. even if you're not experiencing symptoms it seems like they're going to relax that but the article does not go into it. And I don't even think the NFL has fully figured out how they're going to relax that. But that could be something that they're exploring soon. So if you've got a team that's got some guys that are out, uh, you
2: might get some guys back pretty soon. Sounds like you're you're going to be a happy camper here. Well, I don't I know. Are they all asymptomatic? Uh, you know, I would imagine that some of them are. So yeah. as many guys that you can get back as possible, I think is beneficial.
1: 100% including the head coach. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so oh. many guys are
2: out. Oh, man. Let's switch gears, still kind of talking about the NFL.
1: Auburn hired their offensive coordinator yesterday, Austin Davis of the Seattle Seahawks, the quarterback's coach.
2: I don't know if you've seen some videos, but he brings the energy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've definitely seen the energy. He's going to bring bring back boom to the planes uh planes I, is that I, I, a good thing uh, i have, think it is we'll have to see I, I like it i like how i like how people that still follow recruiting and stuff like that occasionally you'll still see the boom post even though uh gus is on, gone you'll still see people uh say boom and in, in different in different recruiting posts so I, I i like that you know austin davis like you said brings the energy i think that's something that auburn needs uh along with uh you know just a a reset of the tone here with the program i think auburn also needs uh, some more some more energy uh on the on the coaching staff and austin davis certainly brings that but then auburn hiring a a former uh quarterbacks coach kind of indicates to me that brian harson is going to be the one calling plays and that davis will be kind of the moldable guy he that was the question that we also then he's
1: 32 years old
2: exactly that was the question that we asked noah is that you know who is auburn going to bring in you were saying you wanted probably somebody younger somebody moldable somebody that uh could uh play well with Brian Harson and, and could uh, could understand and adjust to his style of offense I think Austin Davis is going to be that guy now his uh, his track record very very small uh, it's he's, non-existent it's uh, essentially non-existent when you look at the quarterbacks that he's coached I mean Russell Wilson that's it the guy that was out when Russell Wilson Wilson was out yeah. Geno Smith uh, that's it <laughs> um, I'll tell you Geno Smith has improved
1: in Seattle Gino looks good. I don't know if that's Austin Davis, but i say he looks good compared to what he did look like with the Jets. I would
2: agree with that. I would agree with that. And everywhere else. But uh, oh, and- to
1: be fair, Austin Davis is probably learning more from Russell Wilson than Russell Wilson from Austin Davis. Russell Wilson's 33. Austin yep. Davis is 32.
2: I just don't know how much there was a, I don't know how much knowledge there was to give there to Russell Wilson. Let me tell you something about Austin Davis and I think that this is a point that you made uh a day or so ago talking about him. He's a guy that did play quarterback in the NFL but he was not a starter. He was a backup and I think the point he Did start you,
1: a couple games for the Browns though. The point
2: how was that? Um
1: I mean, you know
2: he's a part of the graveyard oh man but the point but the point being he was one of the guys on the sidelines with a clipboard getting signals out different things like that he understands NFL systems he understands how things work and I think that is going to be beneficial for an Auburn offense that is trying to shift to a more pro style west coast style offense I think Austin Davis definitely fits the mold seems like they're trying to go after and get Keaton Slovis transfer quarterback from USC Tell me about what you see in Keaton Slovis, Noah, as you are the uh, the one that really wanted him. Well,
1: he's at the top of my list. Now, of course, there are some other transfers that i on my list that are now off the board. Miles Brennan is off the board from LSU. You said that he's staying at LSU yes. earlier today. A guy that has entered my list now and is inside my top five, and honestly, I'd probably exchange him out, maybe even put him up to number 2 ahead of Jack Miller. Emory Jones is in the transfer, or will enter the transfer portal, according to Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. He was reporting that last night. Emory Jones is an interesting option, an interesting candidate out of Florida with still a couple of years of eligibility now that he's leaving the Gators. Reports are out that he's going to play in the Gasparilla Bowl and then transfer. Like, that's the plan. Like, he's like, hey, guys, I'm gone, but I'll still ride with you guys one more time in the Gasparilla Bowl against UCF. So I'm kind of interested to see. I'm having a really hard time figuring out who I'm going to pick in that bowl game too, man. To UCF and Florida, I have no idea what I'm going to do there. He's,
2: he's going to throw his two interceptions, and then he's going to say, all right, I'm out. What's up? Which, yeah, I mean, he, he
1: definitely was trigger happy this year and came away with, what was it, like 13 picks? I think he had 19 TDs to 13 interceptions. Yep. But he had a 67.6 completion percentage and threw for over 2,500 y- 2, yards. If I had said 6,500, man, that 100%. is uh, what? <laughs> he threw for over 2,500 yards. At Florida this year like sure there was the there was the good of Emory Jones and there was certainly the bad maybe I have too much confidence in this coaching staff's ability to like elevate players and improve them based on what we saw this year from Bo Nix but why not like what if you trim off six of those interceptions from Emory Jones and all of a sudden he's a 19 TD to six or seven interception kind of guy that's better than Bo Nix this past year, who was eleven to three. Yeah, um, and you're getting this. You're getting a higher completion percentage already at sixty-seven percent coming from Florida. And look, Florida was not shy about throwing the football. He threw the ball a lot. Who finished second in the SEC, Lance, at passing yards per game.
2: Florida did. Florida did, yeah. That's right. I mean,
1: they're not shy about throwing the football. He knows how to throw the ball. He's got good size, six foot two, 215. He's athletic. I know Auburn fans are going to love that. Terry called in earlier. You want mobility. Emory Jones has got mobility. I think he's got the ability to play in this system. I know some Auburn fans are probably like, mm, this guy threw 13 interceptions and he didn't look good and he looked like he was part of what was the problem at Florida. But there was a lot of dysfunction there at Florida. They didn't have uh, that great of an offensive line. They lost a lot of receiver talent. There was a lot of turnover this year. I think with the right coaches, they can help make him better. They can help elevate him. But then again, he was with one of the better quarterback coaches in college football, and he didn't quite get there either. Right. So what can after Brian Harson do? Yeah, what can Brian Harson do? But, you know, maybe you know, maybe, maybe I have too much confidence in this coaching staff that they would be able to elevate quarterback play after what we saw with Bo Nix. But they did it with Bo. And
2: so I think they could at least do it with Emory Jones. Maybe a change of scenery is what you need. Nineteen touchdowns, thirteen interceptions against Power Five competition. Eleven touchdowns, nine interceptions. If you mm. take out the Sanford game where he threw six touchdowns and no picks, it's thirteen that, to nine. It's it, it put him at the end of the at the end of the season. If you just take out the Sanford game completely and you look at his overall statistics, that would have put him at thirteen touchdowns and thirteen interceptions. If you just take out the Sanford game. So mm. I. His decision making was questionable at times this season, um, and I will say though he did complete a high percentage of his passes, and he's also mobile. He had 697 rushing yards and four touchdowns. Is that the scheme fit that Harson wants? I don't know, but he definitely is dynamic. I could see him playing. And he has well. experience. Yeah, I could see him playing well in a in a in a new system.
1: And he's play and he's been in a program that's played in some big ball games in recent years, namely the SEC championship last year that he played in and played pretty well in. I know I've been hard on Avery Jones on this show several times, wondering if he would actually get there, and I ended up being right that he that he wasn't ready for this stage Florida go six and Florida goes 6-6, and you know. But, you know, maybe this coaching staff could elevate it. And I, th- I think he's an interesting name out there in the portal if he does end up entering it, like the report suggests from Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. But going back to Keaton Slovis, as you mentioned, here's what I like in Keaton Slovis. His worst season this year. This was his worst year this past year. He throws still for nearly 2,000 yards or more than 2,000 yards. He has a 65% completion percentage. Another guy with not a great touchdown-interception to ratio this year, but I think he performed as well as he could under the circumstances where there was so much dysfunction at USC, and he got hurt. Didn't have a great offensive line in front of him. I mean, they're not horrible, but I still think there was a ton of dysfunction at USC
2: yeah I I agree and I think that's that's part of the reason why his numbers went down we talked about this on yesterday's show just asking questions about you know why was there regression considering that he was not sacked a lot he had really talented receivers his passing yards were were pretty decent the the passing yards per game for USC was solid this year and I think it was just the turmoil with the coaches I think that definitely rattled the system I think that definitely rattled the momentum that USC had and you know it was just a down year and I think that's what you got to chalk it up to I don't think that he's less of a Talented, less talented of a quarterback because you saw what he was capable of in a good system in his freshman season, even in his sophomore season. Seventy plus percent
1: hurt. completion percentage. I mean, he he was. You look at hit. He came in the college football at the exact same time as Bo Nix. Keaton Slovis was a three-star outside the top 500 of quarter uh, outside the top 500 of players nationally. bonix comes in as a five-star. You compare their freshman seasons, their night and day difference. Right. Keaton Slovis looks like he could be a first-round draft pick after his freshman year.
2: In his sophomore season before he got hurt, he was on pace to have 34 touchdowns.
1: Yeah. He, coming into this year, he was a first-round draft pick project, projection. But then again, you do have to put it on his scouting report. He's injury-prone.
2: Yeah, this is two straight years that he's gotten hurt so that's the question I think that you have to ask is if you bring in a guy like him what does the quarterback room look like I think that there's no harm in bringing in Keaton Slovis because if he does get hurt then you've got Finley Demetrius Davis Holden Dariner you've got options you've got three different guys you could go to
1: I think Keaton Slovis is the best guy in the Porter, portal that has not been claimed buying school yet
2: i just want to i just want to be able to say like yeah he's going to auburn and to feel comfortable in that because i i want to, to see auburn pick up a, a guy in the transfer portal at least for next season there is nobody else in the portal right now that
1: i think right now or at least that has shown this that has more arm talent than this guy yeah i just don't believe it and he fits the scheme so well because he's been playing in it he's been at usc doesn't get more west coast than that with the way that they throw the football it would work perfectly and Auburn, I think. Now, how many wins does that actually add to Auburn's total? It might just be enough to get Auburn to nine or ten wins because USC didn't do anything better than that while he was there, right? They didn't even win their own division. But it definitely helps bridge the gap between Auburn right now in their quarterback situation and the future of the program. But I see a lot of Jared Stidham here. I I, I do agree. Similar I agree. situations. I mean, there's production there. I mean, honestly, this is look at transfer quarterbacks resume wise look cam worked out but let's just be real he was coming from juco didn't even really play at florida jared stidham came from baylor had limited experience as well at at baylor i mean he had you know 10 games or so of of action but keaton slovis says yeah but keaton slovis has two years of starting you know a little over two
2: and a half years of starting yep. at usc This is like the best resume of a transfer quarterback that would be coming to Auburn. Yeah, so I'm looking at the transfer portal right now. I mean, I didn't realize this. Jason Brown entered the transfer portal, South Carolina quarterback.
1: Uh, hey, I'm I, pass. I don't
2: even know how he's got another year of eligibility. He's been in the college game forever. Apparently, he's at COVID. St. Francis for like three years. That's wild. He's going to get like six years in college. Uh, Dillian Gabriel, by the way, transferred to UCLA. Yep. Tough loss there. Zach Calzano's in the portal. Not better than Slovis. Uh, Taquan Ro- uh, Roberson. No, I would not touch that with a 10-foot pole. Four-star quarterback from Penn State. He didn't, mm, No, Jeremy Johnson vibes. Um, let's see. Cameron Ward is still in the portal. Uh, Max Johnson is currently projected to go to Texas A&M. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, uh, so that could be Auburn missing That's out. That's an ideal fit. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. transferred to Washington. Tyler Johnston from UAB is still looking for a new home. No, thank you. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Adrian Martinez is out there, not better than Slovis. Yeah, Slovis is the best option on the market right now.
1: Arm talent-wise, look, Cam Ward is interesting from Incarnate Word, but I'm still intimidated by the jump from FCS to SEC. And he wasn't the most accurate quarterback in the FCS level either at 65%. That's fine. I mean, that's good. If, if you're doing that in the SEC, I think you're doing well, right? But you're doing that in the FCS. Coming to the SEC, I imagine you could shave off uh, several percents off of that, right, to, to bring him down probably into the low 60s. And so I'm not super excited about that one. And so I, I'm, I like Slovis a lot. He's got the experience to lead. He's one of the few upperclassmen in this portal that uh, have played a lot of football. There are a lot of upperclassmen that have been backups their entire career that are looking for a spot. Boise's got a backup that's in the portal, Jack Sears. Utah's got a backup that's in the portal, Postelli is his last name. There's some guys out there that were former high, highly ranked recruits that are in the portal right now that have not played a lick in college, that mm-hmm. are looking to move, and i I would value a guy like Slovis over those players. It's not hard to break down why Slovis is the best player in the portal. And if Auburn can get him right now, I mean, that is a
2: knockout. And the fact that it's being it's being kind of talked about that Austin Davis could potentially want to go after him, I think that is absolutely fantastic. So you're bringing in a quarterback co- quarterback's coach from the NFL to coach a kid that was projected to be a first-round pick just a year ago to play for a system that is a West Coast-style passing scheme. I mean... Sounds pretty good also, if Auburn could get if some you want linemen. A, if you want a model that's going to
1: be able to sell to recruits, mm-hmm. this is what we want our passing game to look like. Mm-hmm. And Keaton Slovis has already proven to NFL scouts that he's got the arm talent to play in the league. This is the guy. Yeah. Like, if you want to be able to sell this to recruits one day, this is the guy. Like, if you do this and then send him to the NFL and he gets drafted in the top two rounds of the draft... You're going to be able to get recruits at quarterback that are like, hey, I believe in this system. Let's go play here. They just sent Keaton Slovis to the league after he had to go and look for a new place from USC. USC couldn't do it. Auburn did it. When have we heard that about the quarterback position?
2: Yep. Yeah. And uh, I think some people would would try and argue, be like, well, Auburn just lost Bo Nix, who thinks that he's going to get to the NFL draft elsewhere yeah this this fixes that image this fix would fix that image also I don't know if if, if that's if that's a legitimate possibility regardless of where next goes so we'll just have to see
1: let's take a quick break here when we come back we wrap up the Thursday edition of the show Last segment of the Thursday edition of on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama got about. 4 minutes left until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack Lance Take it away my man you have some really interesting you always keep a ton of stuff like you reach into your bag and you bring out like papers from like 8 years ago <laughs> It's not like quarters it's not 8 years ago but you yeah. do a really great job of keeping up with information that we say on this show the minutes keeper here on all the line i guess yeah. uh you've got some bold predictions that you had at the beginning of the year that you were right on a lot
2: yeah so some of these are just really weird okay so at the beginning of the season i write for auburn wire which is a usa today site and i put together a list of one bold prediction for every single sec team for the beginning of the season this was 10 days before the uh the season started i'll just start at the top and i'll work my way down Emory Jones doesn't last the entire season for Florida. I said that somebody else would start at some point and that it was probably going to be Anthony Richardson. That happened. Uh, I think you saw that coming. I think some other people were questioning whether or not he could be a legitimate quarterback. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily crazy. Kentucky, I also predicted to finish second in the East. That's something that you predicted as well. I think a lot of people were on that train. Um, This was actually, I didn't realize this, the banana peel eating story uh, was before the season started. So I said Kentucky found its quarterback in banana peel eating Will Levis. Um early wins against Missouri and Florida will pr- will prove the legitimacy of the Wildcats. I mean that happened. Missouri does not win a game of November is something I predicted. I was wrong on that. Um because Missouri did eventually get to six wins and got a win over uh South Carolina. Uh let's see. Tennessee has the second best offense in the SEC East. I was right on that, both in total yards and points per game. Um south carolina gets to a bowl barely did that um at the v- expense of auburn at the expense of auburn vanderbilt loses to colorado state in week two but did- what did it cost lance everything <laughs> <laughs> uh, A picture of bo nicks and almost tank
1: bigsby it really did
2: <laughs> it really did uh vanderbilt loses to colorado state in week two i was wrong on that but they did lose to eastern tennessee state the week prior arkansas goes to a bowl game and beats texas a&m Uh, I was right on that I believe you also projected that as well LSU bounces back goes nine and three whoa (laughs) wrong on that Mississippi State fires Mike Leach I was also wrong on that Uh, Ole Miss loses to Liberty was wrong on that Uh, Texas A&M beats Alabama but does not win the SEC West I was right on that and then on the most with a weirdly specific one Georgia beats Clemson loses in the SEC championship and still makes the playoff all of that happened uh which was funny and then Alabama losing to uh Texas A&M for the first time since 2012 that happened and then for Auburn Tank Bigsby as a Heisman finalist could not be more wrong
1: (laughs) I was wrong about Sean Shivers though going for like 700 yards
2: we were wrong about this running back room (sighs) I thought it would be better man and now Sean Shivers is at Indiana
1: (laughs) what do you think about Indiana's jerseys
2: uh, got the, a minute left. One, I'll, I'll throw that out there. The ones that they had that Shivers wore in those pictures, I feel like they've had better jerseys in the past. Like that's different what they wear this year. It doesn't look good.
1: I like the little the the old school numeral, like the way that it's got the holes punctured into it sure. to make it look like an old jersey. I like the way those look. I don't want to say it looks. I'm che- in the minority for sure. I
2: don't want to say it looks cheap, but as opposed to like other teams now that have kind of moved past that, I don't know. It just it looks. It's just weird to see. I don't necessarily think that there's something wrong with it. I don't think they look great, though. What do you think about the move? The move, uh, you know, I'd have to take a little bit more of a look into the, the way that Indiana runs their offense and the way that they actually do things. I think they throw the ball quite a bit, so I'm curious to see how Sean Shivers works in the passing game. Potentially, I think they're going to throw to him a lot. As a receiving back, so I think that, uh, I think that it may work out for him.
1: I wonder if that's going to get him into the league as a receiving back. He's very small and does not have loose hips, so yeah. I'm curious about how that's going to work, but he's trying to make one last run
2: yeah and you know what could work out for him i really hope things do that's it for
1: the thursday edition of on the line we'll be back with you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us